Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 65 for November 9th, 2006. Why is security so difficult? Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Dell. For this week's specials, visit twit.tv slash Dell. Time to talk security with uh, my my personal security hero, Steve Gibson, a man who I trust <laughs> implicitly. If Steve says do it, I do it. It's good to <laughs> talk you, to you, Steve. Yeah. Great to be back. That's a heavy burden. Do you feel like that's uh, tough? No, because you know I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. I'm I'm involved in it. I love the technology. I mean, I'm you know I'm a I'm a technology junkie, and and you know much as once upon a time hard drives had this problem and I used my love of technology to deal with that with Spinrite now you know the next real big di- a big deal with the internet has been security yeah. so you know I've I've sort of rolled my sleeves up and you know did did uh, shields up and of course you know got into this whole spyware thing and and malware well, and Well we really you know, have to thank you and at, at this point you don't make any products which in a way for security, which in a way, uh, to me, gives you more credibility. I mean, if Symantec says viruses are on the upswing, I always have to think, well, hmm, who benefits from that? But when you say it, I, I know that you're not benefiting from it. This is, and I also know how, how scrupulous, you, scrupulous you are about facts, uh, that this, this is an issue. So, yeah, well, the only The only criticism sometimes you get is that you're like Chicken Little, that uh, sometimes you overstate the security issues. Do you have a defense for yourself in that regard? Well, yeah, and, and we've sort of talked about this. I'm when we're doing this, I'm trying to say to people, look, you know, not everybody is the same. In fact, we're we're about to talk about yet another Microsoft zero day exploit, <sighs> which is on the net. It's a it's an ActiveX control. Um, and so last time we talked about this, I was very careful to say, and and I hope our listeners heard me say, you know, if you're a person who surfs with scripting enabled if you're using ie if you go to you know random sites that you don't know often then this is probably worth worrying about right. whereas you know if any of those things are not true you know if basically you hang out on msn or 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 uh, amazon or or you know your 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 breadth of reach with your browser is not extreme then you can probably wait for Microsoft to catch up with their next security patch and, you know, when presumably they'll fix it. So, you know, I'm, you know, as we've said before, you, you, you can be bitten by things you're not aware of. And I'm sure from, you know, looking at all the feedback we get that people want to know and they'll let, you know, they respect the fact that we're trusting them to decide whether this is something they want to deal with or not. I mean, Leo, remember, here you and I are not with any antiviral software on our machines. 
So it's not <laughs> don't, like, don't tell anybody. I don't so want anybody not, going after me. <laughs> so, so I mean, which most people thinks isn't or think is nuts. Because, but we know what we're know, doing. Well, yes, and, and so I guess my my point is, it's not like we're sitting here, you know, pumping out fear and worry and and feeling that. the The idea is to say, look, the, here are the facts. It's right. clearly and 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 flatly as we can provide them, and we let people figure out how they feel right. about it. Right, and then you, you be the judge. You decide what you want to do about it. Um, in, in errata from, from prior weeks, I did want to mention that, remember that we had some discussion about remote access to Gmail using uh, POP and SMTP. Right. Um, and I wanted to confirm that that Google, uh, Google Mail does absolutely allow you to configure your regular mail client with secure connections using SSL to connect to Gmail servers. So you can have exactly the same experience that you would normally have with Gmail, you know, going to your web browser and opening Gmail. You get the same same interactivity with your own email client, just setting up an account on your email client to go and fetch and send your mail through Gmail. So it, it's very cool. Now, some uh, we actually, this came up on the cruise. We were talking about SSL. Security was a big topic of discussion, of course, as you might imagine. And uh, somebody pointed out, I think one of the editors of Macworld uh, pointed out, probably Dan Frakes, that uh, some online mail accounts let you use SSL to log in, but then are unencrypted once you're transferring mail. And some are not. Um, is that, and is that like, like web browser based? Yeah, is, Hotmail, yes. uh, that kind of thing. Well, yes, and in fact, um, the way Google works is if you go to Google with a non-HTTPS URL, that is, you just say HTTP colon slash slash mail dot lot Google dot com. Right. Um, you will briefly go secure while you're logging in. Then you'll notice in your address bar your subsequent use of Google is just over a regular connection. Uh. But you can go there deliberately with a secure HTTPS colon slash slash mail.google.com and it recognizes you've done, you've done that and it will leave you with a, with a permanently secure connection for all your transactions. Now, I'm just doing it right now. So it stays HTTPS if you start yes. HTTPS and that's the key. If you exactly. see that S, you know you're all right. Right. <clears throat> all right. That's good to know. So, uh, and and you can use it for uh, SMTP as well, which is kind of cool. Yes, you can. So you're not you're not only able to remotely pull your mail, but you can send mail. And I because I I wanted to give this a try. I, I used my Gmail account. Um, from my normal Windows, you know, because I'm an old Eudora user, and th- they have a knowledge base uh, article that I'm going to pr- put a link to on our show notes for this show that that shows you for all the different clients that they know of, and my my version of Eudora 5.1, which is a bit older than than where Eudora is now, it was covered step by step, screenshot showing you how to configure your client in order to do this, and then I looked at the mail that went through Gmail from from an, an anonymous standpoint. That is, you know, was the IP from which I originated this available? Um, and the answer is no. So it is an it, it provides some a nice layer of anonymity in the same way that like going to some location and and using a browser 
to to do the Gmail transaction would. Excellent. So it, it's very nice. I just wanted to, to confirm to people that you know remote access to Gmail is possible from an email client and. Uh, it's it, it requires you to be secure. Security is there. I don't even think you can turn it off when you're using remote access that way. Very cool. We also oh, as, have a big uh, zero-day exploit, as you mentioned. In uh, Well, um, I'm actually not sure how big it is yet. Okay. I, I, I dug around, and I looked, and it looks like this one is, if nothing else, this is a, a slower start than we've seen before. On the other hand... You know, people are actively looking, that is, hackers are actively looking for ways into people's machines. So um, it, it is certainly a concern. This is not, it, it's interesting, this is not an XML parsing bug in something that, that IE was meant to use, such as the last one, but it is an XML problem. The idea is there is something called XML core services, which is an ActiveX control, which Microsoft provides so that um, so that developers of Windows software can add XML awareness to their applications. Ah, but but because it's an ActiveX control, IE is able to invoke it because IE is you know unless you you otherwise limit IE it's able to access any ActiveX controls in your system so so the exploit for this and there is exploit code on the net and it is being actively exploited to install malware in people's machines so it's worth knowing this is a zero day exploit which as we know means that the first awareness of the problem was what uh, occurred when someone discovered it already being used. So, you know, zero day, it, it was, you know, it was found out in use. Um, and it's being used to install malware. Um, at this point, it has not seen widespread use, but we can presume it's going to be. Now, Microsoft's second Tuesday of the month is next Tuesday, which doesn't provide Microsoft with much of a window in which to fix this, you know, based on how long Microsoft tends to take. So I don't know for sure they're gonna they're gonna lock this thing down next Tuesday. If they don't, then this has a great a much greater opportunity to grow a lot and and spread in the meantime. Now, if the, you use your protection technique uh, to protect, so you, you if you still want to use IE and Steve uses IE, but he uses yep. the trusted and untrusted zone settings to protect himself. That would work in this case, wouldn't it? Ab- absolutely. The I, I mean, and that's what I like about this so much is you know as I've talked about it, I'm wherever I go on the net, I am locked down. I've got the internet zone set to high security, and then I've got my trusted zone set to. Um, medium, which is the default security, and then for sites where I I want them to work. That is, if if I go somewhere and it doesn't work, and I look around and it's like, okay, this is worth lowering my guard for. And I mean, that's what you're doing if you're going to allow a site's scripting to run in your browser. You're lowering your guard. Then I I add that URL to my trusted zone, as it's called in IE. And so what happens is unknown sites are always um, always maximum security with scripting disabled and it's only sites that I have chosen to trust that you know where, where scripting then runs and so yes I would be protected by default in that situation now of course if I made the mistake of trusting something that I should not 
then that's still a problem. So it's not like this is the, like doing this means you never need to worry about Microsoft code ever again. I mean, you, you still do. It's not a panacea. So, but a, a key, to, by the way, to this and, and to a lot of security <clears throat> settings, including firewalling, is you start by denying everything. And then you then you explicitly add sites rather than vice versa, slowly taking sites off the list. You you yes, deny it, ActiveX to everybody at first. It's funny because original firewall logic, that when, when firewalls were brand new, something bad would happen and the IT administrators would block that port. Kind of closing the barn that, door after the uh, horse had bolted. Well, I, I mean that the logic was reversed. It, it was the old-fashioned logic of block right. a problem rather than permitting only the things that you know you want. And, of course, that's completely flipped over now so that um, you know firewalls are, are blocking everything by default and then only allowing traffic in which they've been that they that they've been told to and, and configured to right so in the case of this ActiveX exploit there is something in IE which we've talked about before called the kill bit the kill bit <laughs> is base is basically a, a a permission for IE to access any ActiveX control ActiveX controls are identified internally with, with one of these Microsoft Windows GUIDs, the GUID, the Globally Unique ID, which is, I'm sure when people see it, they'll go, oh, yeah, I've seen those before. Yeah. It's weird, too, because I'm seeing them surfacing more and more. When I'm surfing around Microsoft's site, you're, I'm, like, seeing these GUIDs printed out, and they, there are a lot of them in Vista also where I'm seeing them. I don't know if this is going to go away once we go to final RTM code or if... Microsoft is intending to begin exposing users to these bizarro, oh, you know, serial, serial number looking things. But but anyway, the point is that they're um, again on our show notes uh, page for 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 this show number sixty five. I have a a link to a little registry script that anyone can download. You simply run that. It'll pop up a dialog saying because it says .reg is the extension. Pops up a dialog saying, "Do you want to install this in your registry?" And what this is, this little script, and this is directly from Microsoft's page. And I also have a link to that to Microsoft's page, so so people can go back to the original source. Also, all this does is add an entry in the registry to turn on the kill bit for IE for this particular control. There's there's no reason that IE would ever be expected to use this particular ActiveX control, unlike the prior, the real XML um, uh, uh, parsing ActiveX control, where we had the problem last time. So, so um, uh, is this something? You, does this prevent all ActiveX execution? What does Kilbit do? No, it's it, it prevents IE's use of this particular ActiveX control. Oh, just this control is disabled. Just just this control where the problem was found. Got it. Got and, it. And that and that's why I was talking about that this wacky GUID is that it's identified the ActiveX control is identified by one of these bizarre you know curly brace and then I think it's eight hex characters a hyphen then a couple more groups of four hex characters and so forth in order to like make up this weird globally unique ID. Ah, so each ActiveX control has this ID, and right. you set the kill bit individually for each ID. Exactly. Got it. So you're going to find, you, you, don't, you need to know that. It's actually a CLS ID, I think they call it when it's a, an ActiveX control. You need to find that ID number 
and then in your registry and then turn the kill bit off or better yet use this script it'll do it automatically for well you. actually and it may not be in the registry the it, it may or may not already be there but oh. you do need you do need to add a i key see i get it in order it. to add in order to add this this optional kill bit and then that'll prevent ie from having access to it got it Got it. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is something I've talked to you about before. This is just in the errata section, and this is a program that I just want to tell our listeners about because I'm I can't live without it now. Um, <laughs> and I learned about it from from seeing it demoed last time I was uh, on on the Call for Help show with you, Leo, up in Toronto. And that's a little piece of freeware called All Snap. Um, All Snap. You're really a fan of this. And what brought it back Mike, again? Mikey discovered this one. Yeah. What what brought it back again is that I was talking to my tech support guy Greg on the phone yesterday, and we were you know covering our you know uh, sort of catching up on 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 various GRC stuff, and he said at the end of our conversation, and you know what I can no longer live without, and I said all snap. He said yes. <laughs> Because he's he's anal in sort of the way I am, you know. I, I was telling you, I spend all this time adjusting the position of my windows so that the you know they're exactly on the edge of the screen. <laughs> and funny. all all Snap does is makes the edges of windows and other application windows sticky. So that I mean, you know, and we've seen these in some apps have a UI where, where their own windows will be sort of snappy. They'll like snap to, a, to, to the edge of your screen or in, into the upper corner just to sort of place themselves for you. What this does is this just installs a, a global hook in Windows that, that provides this sticky functionality to your entire OS experience. Anyway, just if anyone puts A-L-L-S-N-A-P, just all, one word, all snap, into Google, it'll take you to... Uh, the, the the programmer's site and to a free downloads page and uh, it, it's very clean. It's when I use it. a Windows, I have a whole bunch of Windows machines and I think they all now, except I think I have one XP machine that doesn't yet. Um, whenever I'm using one and the Windows don't snap, it's like okay, I, I've, you know, I'm going to install this right now before I go any further because I just <laughs> I love it so much. We'll so put a link in the show of, notes too, since people obviously yeah. uh, want this. Yeah, now, now I'm wondering wanna, if I, just, I get I need one from the Mac. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I wish the Mac had it. Well, so. it's probably pretty easy to write, so I'm sure somebody will do that just for you, Steve. Uh, I if so, I want to know about it because it would be great if the Mac had it too. All snap. So, I wanted to talk today about about something I've been I've had in my mind for months because I've been trying to figure out. When I'm like talking to my friends and family, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the war in Iraq and, you know, whether it's made us more safe or less safe and, and, and denial of service attacks and, and like, and why, you know, why there isn't anything people can do. We were talking about this, you know, you and I, Leo, just, just, just the other day. Um, and, and also similarly, like this new ActiveX zero day exploit. I mean, all of this is sort of, why is security so difficult? And and I finally, I think, came up with a sort of a, a way of of framing an answer that I really like. Because, you know, as I'm talking to friends, you know, they know I'm into computer security 
And it's like, well, you know, why why is it such a problem? Let me and, when you frame it that way, do you mean why is it so difficult to make a secure operating system or why is it so difficult for end users to secure themselves? No, why is it so difficult for the United States to be secure? Oh, that kind even? Of, so just I mean, why is it so tough to be to make something secure? Yes, why is security not and I'm glad you asked the question because I want to make sure I mean, like everything, you know, uh, you know, against terrorism, against denial of service attacks, which is sort of a form of terrorism, against ActiveX controls having bugs in them. Why is it? Why is this so hard? What you know? What's the problem? And and I, you know, I mean, I I knew sort of in my guts, just intuitively, but I was. It was interesting. I was having a hard time communicating it. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to explain to people what the problem is. And and I, I, I've come up with something that I like because I think it, it begins to address that. And and so, so I define security as the absence of all insecurity. And I, and I think that's the that, way to that think about sense. it. Yeah, it's all right. So, Right. Well, and so and so, if you think about that, so security is the absence of of all or any insecurity, or eliminating all danger, or in the case of computers, eliminating all chances of loss of privacy, well, loss of elim- integrity, or or eliminating all bugs. Well, I that's, mean, that's the problem with computers, isn't it? Exactly, and so I mean that that begins to take us towards an understanding of why we continually have these problems. Is that it's you know, and, and it's also why. It, it, I mean, I, I really like this because the more I think about this definition, security is the absence of any and all insecurity. It it then, for example, answers Steve Ballmer's famous outrage about why do we still have all these buffer overrun bugs Um, i mean it 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 says the only way to be secure is to have absolutely nothing that's not secure because anything that is not secure obviously creates an opportunity for insecurity so so you know it's well understood that 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 Software has bugs. I mean, you know, and I've I've heard I, I cringe when I hear people say, "Oh, well, all software has bugs." Because I mean, you know, I, I take it personally because I'm a software developer, and and I would like to imagine that that my software at least doesn't have bugs. But but the fact is, this software is incredibly complex. As I've certainly said before, that's you know, that's 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 my defense for this. But I've I've in, in thinking about this more. In the context of security, I realized there are two different classes of software bugs. There are there are there are bugs and, and problems that users stumble over in normal use. That is, you're using some application and it does something wrong, and it's like, oh, okay. I mean, and and frankly, I'm sure any any one who uses Windows and PCs in general has just sort of become accustomed to that. You know, the software that they use, um, oftentimes, you know, freeware, shareware that they've downloaded that, that, that's, that performs some useful utilitarian task, there'll be something about it that just kind of doesn't work right. And it's like, okay, and, you know, you, you close it and restart it, you figure out a workaround yourself, maybe you report the problem, but, you know, we're, we're encountering them all the time. So, 
one class of bugs are those sorts of things, the things we stumble over in normal use. But a very different kind of bug are those which, which manifest themselves from deliberate abuse. That is, deliberately doing something that the software author didn't expect, didn't plan for, didn't protect against. And, and it's, it's fundamentally different than, that, that, that is to try to find problems than to stumble on them when you're not trying to find them. Because it's, there is just, um, the, the, the nature of the software we're using is that it is, I mean, well, to finish that sentence, that it is so complicated. I mean, and if nothing else demonstrates that, just look at the size of the code now that we're loading onto our machines. You know, it used to be, I mean, we all remember the day where you would buy a software product and it had a couple floppy disks, you know, a couple 1.44 meg diskettes. Now, nothing doesn't come on uh, on anything but CDs, and it's, you know, it's hundreds of megs. And so there's just, there's so much more code and so much more opportunity for mistakes. So, so this notion that that software could appear to be fine if it's functionally okay yet still have exploitable problems if if someone were actively trying to find them and of course that is what hackers are doing today now now the reason we're seeing so many problems with internet explorer now is that there are two ways that hackers have access to us. Either they come to us mm-hmm. or, or we come to them. Now, the traditional big problems that we saw in the earlier days of Windows, actually before Service Pack 2, were, you know, w- were worms, Code Red and Nimda and Blaster and the, these big worm problems. Well, worms were things that came to us. That is, they, they were a real problem because they were inherently able to exploit an opening that existed in a large base of Windows platforms in order to attack the computer remotely. They came to us. The, the reason that XP Service Pack 2 was such a win is that Microsoft finally turned on the firewall by default so that, so that no longer unless something you know special was done but in any event you wouldn't you would no longer have a the 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 default majority population of windows machines accepting unsolicited incoming traffic well in one day i mean in the day that service pack 2 turned on the firewall the huge problem of they come to us ended and I mean, and things are like way better yeah, ever fixed since. It. it just fixed it. It just in you know overnight. Yeah. And so you know, as I was saying for years before that, I didn't. I don't blame Microsoft for mistakes. I was I was upset with them for policy, and their policy was to have all these services running with open ports. I mean, literally creating the they come to us trouble, which they finally, thank goodness, ended by turning a firewall on by default. And, of course, 
way before that, anybody that was following along with with the good idea of running a NAT router, a NAT router, of course, being a, you know, a hardware firewall in the sense that any incoming traffic is just dropped unless it's expected, that, that also would have terminated the them-come-to-us trouble. But on the other hand, as the success of the worms demonstrated back in those those worm years, the huge bulk of Windows machines were not behind any kind of firewall. Those Microsoft services were exposed, and they were coming to us. Now, what we're left with then is the the reverse model today, and I don't see this going away anytime soon, unfortunately, and that is the we come to them. And that, of course, is all the current exploits and troubles that we've been talking about are are inherently we come to them. And of course, the way we come is with our browser. That's the way the computer extends itself out onto the internet. That makes it a lot and, easier for hackers. They don't have to come to us anymore. Well, it's it it's 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 easier from the standpoint of they lay traps which some number of users fall into. But it is certainly the case that the number of machines affected by any of these traps is inherently going to be much smaller because, you know, no super popular high volume website, you know, Google, Amazon, MSN, so forth, you know, CNET, you know, none of these big sites are under control of hackers. You know, certainly it's, it's conceivable that they could have a problem that, that a site could get some malicious code installed on it that would affect a lot of people in a short time. But that's, you know, that's the exception rather than the rule. So, so it is worth mentioning, especially in the context, Leo, you were saying of like, you know, us crying wolf or the sky is falling. It's worth noting that it's only people who are generally venturing out and want to poke into dark corners of the internet that, well, that, that are exposing them. But I have to point out, there have been cases, uh, MySpace leaps to mind. Uh, where, the perfect example, where yes. 50 million people frequent this. MySpace is one of the most popular spaces on the net and is absolutely a place, a vector for infection. Yes, that's a very good point. And so there is a place where the, the we-come-to-them model can, can still infect a, a, a huge population of users. So, so anyway, I, I, I really liked, I, I really liked finally coming up with a way to, to explain to my non-computer savvy friends, you know, why security is such a problem. It's that, you know, to really be secure, you must really be secure, which means no opportunity for insecurity. And of course, then computer savvy people understand what that really means. I mean, that means. It's impossible. You must have bug-free software, right, right? And that's just you know, no one sees that happening. If in, I if in, in the near term. if I were to boil this down in uh, Socratean terms, perhaps uh, it's axiomatic. Well, first of all, you def- as you did, you define security as the absence of insecurity, uh, and the only way to be secure is to have nothing that is insecure. In other words, no bugs. It's yep. axiomatic that all software has bugs, and since bugs often create security holes. All software is inherently insecure. Well, and it, it's worth noting, too, that that this recent um, zero-day exploit was an interesting lesson because a, a component that was not IE, that is a Windows core service component, 
that was invocable by IE was where the problem was found. And so again, the we come to them model, which would would otherwise not be useful. For example, um, you know, I, I'm looking right now at a stopwatch app sitting here telling us how long the, the show's been going on. Well, it may have bugs, it may have exploitable bugs, but I'm not going out on the internet with my little stopwatch application, so the fact that it's got some problems doesn't hurt me. It right. doesn't represent any kind of a problem. Now, now There's that a problem, bring- though, in Windows because so much of it is... Uh, is available to IE. I mean, once you put the browser as an integral part of the operating system, you're really, in, in many ways, making things worse. Well, Windows has become componentized, and that you know, and that's what they call you know, Olay. And then became ActiveX, and it is a an inherently a component. It's designed system. to be a network aware operating system, and and IE is always running. You cannot not have it running. Well, it, the, the, other, the other thing worth mentioning is that I, I mentioned my little stopwatch app that is not on the net. One of the things that we see happening is that mainstream applications... It may be on the net. Yes. <laughs> they dial, main, they phone home. <laughs> more, more and more mainstream applications are adding internet connectivity and internet features because they're looking for ways, you know, as they get past version 4, it's like, okay, how are we going to sell more of this? We need to, you know, add more features. Well, everything's network these days. Everything's the internet and connectivity and peer-to-peer and all that. So, so the next the next level of problem after Windows, if Windows ever really becomes bolted down enough that it's not the majority target, we're going to see the network-enabled applications, which are the most popular, begin to be the next round of, of attack target. And, and then it's not just Microsoft that needs to be really careful and really aware of bugs. It's all Oy. third-party programmers. Oy. Oy. And I don't, ever, I don't ever see that happening. Yeah. Wow. I think, you know, for a while, the Department of Defense tried to solve this problem with bulletproof languages, ADA, for instance, that kind of forced the whole idea of ADA was a bug free language that forced programmers uh, to not make errors. I don't know what happened to ADA. Well, um, maybe it was maybe it was undoable. I don't know. uh, Next week's topic is Vista security. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) I've I've delved in and spent some time uh, because I want to follow up on on this week's issue of like, okay, if if security is the complete absence of all insecurity, um, where is Microsoft going in with their own security initiatives, mm, and excellent. what's been what's been added to Vista, and what's the difference between 32-bit and 64-bit platforms? And I've got some surprising news there. So Good. that's what we're going to do next week. Well, now we know why security is so difficult. In fact, I think you might have said, "Why is security impossible?" Impossible, I'm afraid. Yeah. And uh, it's it, I get, and as you've always said, it's a process. There is no end to securing yourself. It's a process, well, and, and it's not like the hundred thousand listeners we have of security now are all going to get their machines destroyed. It's that, inarguably, some percentage of Windows users are being infected, and it's not a small percentage every day. I, oh, yeah. I recently saw something that said two thirds. Of, of average Windows computers have spyware and malware installed on them of some sort. Yeah, I mean, I know just from doing the KFI radio show that it's endemic. 
Yep. Uh, we no one has an exact number, although the study I've seen, as you say, uh, are far more than half. Um, and but just just uh, anecdotally from l- talking to people, that's the number one concern of Windows users. They they spyware and viruses are, it and it's not hysteria. It's it's a very real problem. Yeah, and again, it, it's not like it affects everyone. You know the the. The old days with the worms, where we, if they weren't behind firewalls, right. where, where we had the they come to us model, well, we know you stick an unpatched XP machine on the net and it's compromised in minutes. Right. I mean, that's, that's the case today, but all, all current XP machines are behind a firewall and hopefully behind a NAT router, so yeah. that's just not a problem. You know, the they come to us is over, but we've still got this we come to them and and the <laughs> And the we're coming sis- to them more and more. And, and we're coming, baby. <laughs> hey, thank you, Steve. Wanna thank our sponsors, Astaro Corporation. They know that security is a process and they make it possible for Big business, little business, and even home users to be secure with the Astaro Security Gateway. If you're a small or medium business network that needs superior protection from spam, viruses, and hackers, as well as complete VPN capabilities, intrusion protection, content filtering, and an industrial-strength firewall, all in a very easy-to-use, high-performance appliance, contact Astaro, A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. There's a link on our show notes. makes it easy to get there, or you can call them, 877 877- the number four ASTARO to schedule a free trial of an Astaro Security Gateway appliance in your business. I have a 120, and I cannot tell you how fantastic it is. It is it is incredible. Based on open source, built to withstand anything. And if you're a non-business user, by the way, you can get it for free, the software version, at Astaro.com. Install it, run it on any old PC box, and you'll get the same benefits. Pay a small, I think it's 79 euros a, a year, small fee. And you can have all of the uh, the antivirus and spam and so forth too. Uh, I think I want to see. I expect to see more and more people uh, with home networks using Astaro to protect the entire network. It really is a great solution. Astaro dot com. We thank them for major financial support for security. Now we also want to thank the folks at Dell for providing major financial support. D e l l dot com. Actually, the best way to go is probably to go through Twit TV. We have a special Dell page. If you just click the link at twit.tv or go to twit.tv slash Dell, we have some picks there, but don't be, uh, don't be just limited to those. Anything you want from Dell, if you go through those links, we get credit for anything you purchase. If you're buying a Windows PC, getting ready for Vista, Dell has some great stuff. I love this XPS 700. Um, you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm about to buy one. Now that they have the, the Vista Express upgrades, I think it's time to pull the trigger and get that XPS 700. I've been, I've been eyeing for so long. Twit.tv slash Dell. We thank them for their support. Steve Gibson's website is grc.com. That's the place where you can find Security Now uh, show notes. Thanks to Elaine and the 16 kilobit versions for the bandwidth impaired. We've got a lot of show notes uh, today, particularly to uh, All Snap. And uh, we'll put in a link to, I have a link, and I'm going to put it in the show notes to your guide to using IE safely. I wrote it up at one point with uh, pictures and everything. Um, so I'll put that in the uh, show notes. And the kill bit, I want to call it kill bill. The kill, the kill bit, you might want to kill bill after all. The kill bit registry Good. patch with apologies to Quentin Tarantino and, uh, and more at uh, grc.com. That's also where you'll find Spinrite. Any good Spinrite letters this week? Actually, I did get a really, a really fun one. Uh, uh, some guy said he's both a loyal customer and fan of Spinrite uh, and GRC since 1997. Wow. Said, <laughs> when did yeah. you start making it? Uh, 95, well, 96? 
Oh, it's 19 years old. Leo. Oh, it's older than that. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so he says, I, I love this one. He says, I do volunteer work for the Alberta Diabetes Foundation. Donors have provided systems to the ADF for a number of years now. Every time one of these systems will not boot and it appears that the hard drive has crashed, I run Spinrite. Oh, interesting. There's a good and, test. Isn't that cool? So, so like people are bringing dead computers in, you know, donating them because their computer yeah, died. <laughs> so, 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 so this guy goes on. He says, the number of times I've been able to call up a donor and ask them if they would like to have the data off the drive <gasps> oh is, in, is incredible. He said, and this happens after the system has been in some shop that declared it DOA. When they ask me how they can thank me, I always just say, thank Steve Gibson at GRC by purchasing Spinrite. He said, I have no way of knowing if this translates into any sales for you, but I will bet the GRC is who they think of the next time they get OS not found. Isn't that a nice, that is really a nice story. I oh, like that. That. Really, that was really cool. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the, the person, the machine dies, they go, oh, well, I'll just, you know, give it away to the Diabetes Foundation. Then, then a couple of days later, the, the, the guy calls up and says, hey, uh, oh, by the way, your, your computer was dead, but there's all this data here. Would you like it? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's uh, Spinrite is uh, everybody's favorite, my favorite, certainly, disk maintenance and recovery utility. And that's also at GRC.com. And by the way, Steve, has a lot of free security programs. It's worth browsing. People often start with Shields Up, which is a good way to test your network when you install a new router or firewall. Uh, but don't stop there. There's all sorts of free software, Decombobulator, Unplug and Pray, and uh, all sorts of very useful tools. It's all at GRC. Dot com. When's that new menuing system going in there? Uh, I've got a little more work to do here before I get back to that, but that's top of my list. And I, I did want to mention that that at the bottom of the Security Now page is a form that people can use to send questions and oh, comments okay. and notes and things. So grc.com slash security now will take you to the top of the page, scroll all the way down. I'm going to have to rearrange, reorganize this whole Security Now area because, you know, we're well, it's like growing like topsy. <laughs> it is. We've got 65 episodes now, but all the way down at the bottom is a form that anyone can use to, to send uh, questions and stuff directly to me, and uh, I really appreciate knowing what people are thinking and what they want to hear about. Good. And next week, I know what you want to hear about, Vista Security. Yep. That'll be a top yep. topic, I know, with everybody listening. And uh, we will see you here next Thursday for another gripping edition of Security Now. See you later, Steve. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.